Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Hi, this is Evan from out here in beautiful Colorado. Um, I'm Vanmo92 on forums, and I just wanted to say that you're listening to Talking Reef Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast, a weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. Special thanks to Evan for the introduction that he left for us. Anybody else that wants to do so, uh, the information's on the website and can be heard at the end of the show. So I'm looking for more introductions just like that. Uh, So if you've got one, please do send it in. Uh, First thing I do want to mention, we do have our Tank of the Month contest winner. Details will follow the main topic, so make sure you stick around to hear that. Uh, quick announcement, uh, also the MASM, which is the Marine Aquarium Society of Michigan, is having their largest frag swap of the year. That's happening uh, November 4th from 12 to 5. So if you're in the Michigan area anywhere, uh, Ohio, Indiana, there's a lot of people from all over the place coming out. It's in a nice central location. Check out MASM.org. And of course, before I introduce the topic this week, make sure that you do stick around for the end of the show. Uh, As I mentioned, I've got Tank of the Month announcements, a little bit more information on the frag swap, uh, and a couple things that I personally would like to take a couple minutes and talk to everybody about. So, all that said, uh, let's uh, introduce the first topic. As I'm sure you've picked up by now, and by looking at the title of this topic, we're going to be talking about lighting. Now, I just want to let everybody know uh, this is a topic that I've been thinking about doing and been working on for quite some time now. Uh, So bear with me. I'm just going to start off with a real basic. Uh, If you've got more questions, like always, please head over to the forums, post your response, and we'll do the best to get the rest of the questions answered. So that being said, let's move right into this week's topic. Now, what is light? Well, visible light is nothing more than a small piece of something much larger, something we call the electromagnetic spectrum, or electromagnetic radiation. Remember this term radiation because we're going to come back to it quite often as we go through this topic. Before we dive into all of this, I kind of wanted to start off with some basic terminologies that we can build on as we go along. For those of you that are already familiar with physics, you'll understand that wave can be thought of in both as a light wave or as a particle of light, and this particle is something we call a photon. Uh, You know, some people ask, okay, is it really both? How can it possibly be both? Um, And it can be both. This is something that's known as the particle or wave-particle duality. Uh, It's a bit, actually, it's quite a bit off-topic for this discussion. So for now, just understand that when we refer to light as a wave, or when we refer to light as a particle, both are accurate, uh, depending on the, the sense that we're speaking in. Uh, so from here, let's go ahead and start and talk about some of the properties of a light wave. Uh, the first term that we're going to be talking about is the wavelength. To understand this, we look at light in its wave form. Think of a sound wave or a water wave. You're going to see peaks and troughs. A light wave has these same properties. They have peaks and troughs, uh, highs and low points as, as the wave travels. And these are measurable. We measure the distance between the peaks to determine its wavelength, or the length of a single wave between two peaks. Okay, so what does that really have to do with our tanks? 
Well, we measure this, and this represented uh, this wavelength is represented the actual uh, represents the actual distance in the wave crest, as I mentioned. Now, this comes in particular when we're looking at certain types of actinic bulbs. Uh, first off, visible light, the light that we can see with our eyes, is between 400 and 700 nanometers. 400 being the more energetic, the bluer end, 700 being the least energetic, the more yellow or reddish. And as I mentioned, this comes into play when we're looking at actinic bulbs. Commonly, when you look at actinic bulbs, you're going to see 420 or 460 nanometers. Now, again, both of these are going to be blue. They're going to have some slight varying properties. Um, and we, you know, we won't get into the details of that just yet. But just understand that what we're referring to here is that this is the wavelength of light. It's a higher, more energetic light. It's going to be in the bluer spectrum. That's really all that means. Uh, we'll get into more of the details in one of the later parts. The next thing that I want to discuss here is something that's a little bit harder to explain. This term is something that we all know and we probably use all the time when talking about lighting with other people in the hobby. And the term is spectrum. Um, but do you really understand what it is? Do you really know? Well, if you do, congratulations. If not, let's take a minute and talk about what it is. Spectrum is a term that is used often, but usually not with 100% accuracy. See, when you look at a rainbow, or and you, and you kind of see all the different colors, this collection or compounded signal, all of this together, this light signal in this case, is a spectrum. All light has a spectrum. It is all a spectrum. It, it all contains a spectrum. But what's in that spectrum, or what makes up that spectrum, is what can vary from, different, from one to another. So again, how does this relate to our tank? Well, let's look at something that's in the spectrum. We all know that what light is, so now how do we measure that spectrum, and how do we determine what it is? When referring to certain parts of the spectrum, we refer to the color of the light, or more specifically, we refer to the temperature. Now, temperature is, again, it's another complicated topic to break down. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to highlight some of the common ideas here enough so that you, hopefully it'll help bring the pieces together and you're going to understand where this comes from. When we refer to co the color of a bulb, we do this by referring to its temperature. Something that you've surely heard of is, I have 10K metal halide bulbs. Now, the first thing I want to point out here is that 10K is a shorthand, and technically it's not accurate. Uh, 10K is properly referred to as 10,000K. In this case, the K in 10K does not stand for thousand as it would commonly if you're referring to you know money or m distance you know you'd say you're going to do a 10k run or something like that uh, in this case it's a temperature uh, like you like you would use as a C in Celsius or F or Fahrenheit now the K is actually used to refer to the Kelvin scale again as opposed to Celsius or Fahrenheit the Kelvin scale is used mostly in science uh, and we're not going to really discuss it further here so know that when we refer to a 10,000 K bulb uh, we're referring to a bulb that has a temperature of 10,000 degrees Kelvin now it sounds pretty hot what does it mean well straight to the point 10,000 degrees Kelvin is equivalent to about 17 point or 17,500 degrees Fahrenheit or about 9,700 degrees Celsius. Okay, now that sounds really hot. 
In fact, if you are one who's familiar with science or astronomy at all, you're going to know that the surface of the sun is about 5,500 Kelvin, or 5,500 Kelvin. Okay, wait. Now, does this mean that our power compact bulbs and our metal halide bulbs inside there are burning twice as hot as the surface of the sun? Okay, not exactly. See, when something really burns at 10,000 degrees Kelvin, 15,000 Kelvin, or even 20,000 Kelvin, it emits energy in the form of electromagnetic radiation. And we see some of this as visible light. The more energetic, the hotter it is, and the shorter the wavelength or the bluer the light's going to appear. Now for each of these temperatures, there's certain properties that are going to change in the spectrum. A spectrum that is emitted from a 5,500 degree body is going to appear yellower. A 10,000 degree Kelvin body is going to generally appear more whitish, a tinted blue, or more towards the blue end. And something that's burning at 20,000 degrees Kelvin, well, it's going to appear much more blue. This is why when you look at the sun, it's yellow and why daylight bulbs are said to be at 5,500 to 6,500 Kelvin, or 5,500 to 6,500K. And it's why, you know, that's why bulbs are tagged at that. So hopefully this kind of puts some of the pieces together and, and helps you understand a little bit what this Kelvin means. Now, a bit more about what it all means. Um, you know, when, when you take an otherwise dark object, this is something that technically is referred to as a black body object, and that body then is burning or radiating at 10,000 degrees Kelvin, its spectrum is going to appear a certain color and have certain spectral properties. What we're doing with our lights and our light bulbs is we're mimicking that. Uh, so our bulbs are not actually burning at 10,000 degree Kelvin. Uh, they're simply mimicking the spectrum of something that is burning at that temperature. And this is done by coating the bulbs with certain types of chemicals, such as phosphors. Uh, these chemicals react with the light that's being emitted, and it, it, it blocks and allows certain spectrums to pass through there, causing it to look one color or another. So when we say 10K, it's not actually burning at 10K, it's, and it's the spectrum that's being emitted is a simulated 10k spectrum. Now uh, there's this is a very very high level explanation and there is loads of more detail that's beyond this. Uh, I just wanted to kind of give you a little bit of information so we can continue on with our conversation. For more information on this you're going to want to look up stuff related to black body radiation or a black body model. So now that I've done and given you um, a basically a foundation of what lighting is and what bulb temperature and the spectrum mean. Um, we're going to take a break for a minute and stick around and what we're going to do is go into a lot more uh, detail on some of this stuff and start bringing all these ideas home and show you what they exactly mean. Okay, I hope that was a good little break for you and got a minute to absorb everything that we've been talking about. Uh, before I continue on, I want to mention real quick that for more information about the stuff that we just recently talked to, Sanjay Joshi, Joshi's articles are a great place to go. 
You can also refer back to podcast episode 31, where I talked to Sanjay about one of his articles that he was doing, which is a basic introduction to light, well, which is something that I'm talking about here. And his article goes into a lot more detail and it'll really help you understand what we're talking about here. Uh, so with that being said, let's move on a little bit and we're going to start talking about some other items that I'm sure you've heard, but may not exactly understand or may not know exactly what they mean. So let's move into some of these items. The first term that I'm going to mention is lumen. Now, lumen is, it can get pretty complicated when you break down all the different details and the terminology. Uh, but the thing to understand with a lumen is it's something that's used to measure the overall intensity of a light source. Another term that comes into play when we're talking about lumens is the term lux. Now, these terms are generally used together uh, in that one lux is equivalent to one lumen. And basically, this is telling you the intensity of light over a certain area. Uh, so there's a lot more information that you can find out about these. They're not the most useful uh, terms or uh, measurements that we can use when, when talking about the effectiveness of our lighting. Uh, you know, It'll tell you how bright it is, but how bright your light is honestly isn't the most important thing. Uh, so let's take a minute and talk about some of the other stuff. The most important, of course, being photosynthesis. I mean, photosynthesis is the whole one of the probably the number one reason why we are providing such intense lighting over our reef tanks. Now, again, I'm not going to break down into all of the finite levels of detail that have to do with photosynthesis. Uh, but basically, photosynthesis is the synthesis of sugar from light. Uh, so you're going to be synthesizing sugar from a photo source or a light source. Um, this is done uh, by mixing light, carbon dioxide, and water uh, with oxygen as a byproduct or a waste product. Uh, I mean, that's essentially what it is. Uh, this is performed in corals. Uh, corals themselves are not photosynthetic, uh, but there is an algae, a symbiotic algae that lives inside of them called the zooxanthellae. And that's what performs a photosynthesis and produces excess sugars, and then that's what the coral eats. Uh, again, we're not going to go into details. Uh, for more information, check out podcast episode 41, uh, where Jake Adams interviews some people on uh, the different aspects of zooxanthellae. You can get a lot more information there. Okay, the next set of items that I'm going to talk about is uh, some terms that I'm sure you've heard by now, especially if you've hung out on the Talking Reforms. It's something that we've talked about. Uh, it's also something that uh, when Brian did his lighting article that we talked about on the last Reef Keeping Show, uh, it's something that one of the measurements that he actually used uh, when doing his test. Now, these are these are probably some of the most important uh, measurements that can be used when determining light uh, effectiveness. Uh, the first one that I'm going to mention is a term called PAR, P-A-R. And what PAR stands for is a photosynthetically active radiation, photosynthetically active radiation. Now, what does that mean? Now, this is the actual amount of radiation from the electromagnetic spectrum within the visible light range. So with when we're measuring, it's between 400 and 700 nanometers uh, within that wavelength. And uh, what we're actually talking about here when we say PAR, or photosynthetically active radiation, uh, this is really a measurement of how much light could be available. Uh, so it's, if you have your light source right there and you measure the amount of PAR directly from that light source, 
the, the measurement is referred to as par. The next item, which is PUR, this is photosynthetically usable radiation. Now, this one's a little bit different. Um, again, same measurements, same wavelengths, same whole shot. Um, but PUR is the amount of radiation that's actually going to be available. Now, this amount can vary depending on certain attributes, like how clean is the water, is there anything that's sitting in the way? Uh, like uh, Brian mentioned on his show, are your bulbs clean or dirty? Do you have glass tops or something over there that could be affecting it? Um, you know, like I said, water clarity, um, and even the, the pigment of the coral tissue. Uh, again, this is not what's available to the coral. We're talking about what's available to the zooxanthellae. Uh, so again, we don't care, I mean, I, I know it sounds funny, but we don't care how much light the coral gets. We care how much light is actually getting to the zooxanthellae. Because the coral's not using the light, the zooxanthellae is. Uh, so again, you have PAR, which is the active radiation, how much is overall could be available. PUR, or usable radiation. And this is what actually is available when you actually get right down there and do the measurement. And there's a third and final piece, which is PSR, and that's photosynthetically stored radiation. Now, this is the one that's much more difficult to actually measure, but this, you know, if you come across it, this is the actual term in how much radiation was actually stored or used by the zooxanthellae. So out of the total amount, how much was totally available, PAR, how much was actually available when it got to the zooxanthellae, PUR and how much was actually taken in and used and stored and processed by the zooxanthellae, which is PSR. For more information about each one of these individually, there's a couple good sources. Again, first of all, I recommend that you check out Brian Plankus's article in uh, the uh, October edition of Reefkeeping Magazine, October 2006. Um, Check out multiple articles uh, by San, Sanjay Joshi, which if you do some searches on you know Google searches for him um, or some searches within the Reef Keeping magazine, there's a lot of articles that he's done. Um, and then there's also uh, Eric Bornman's book, uh, which is called Aquarium Corals. He does have some information in that book also. Uh, there's lots of information out there. Uh, Brian's article talks about easier ways to actually measure it. Again, you can go back and, and listen to that episode uh, that we did with him, which was episode number 74. Uh, and he's going to talk about the different ways that he did it, and the article is going to explain that a lot more also. Okay, well, that's about a majority of the stuff that I wanted to cover for this week. Again, some of this stuff might be basic to you, um, but this is also some, this can be some rather advanced stuff. So if it's not something you're familiar with, take some time, absorb this information. If you want to do further research on it, please do, uh, because as we go into later episodes, it, it will probably help your overall understanding if you understand this stuff here. Um, now, there's some other things that I wanted to kind of bring up that I didn't bring up. They'd probably fit back in the beginning of, uh, of this episode, but uh, I wasn't exactly sure where to place them because I didn't want to saturate you with, with too much information all at once. So if you already had too much, then you can pause it or stop it here and you can come back later and listen to the rest of this. But if not, you're ready and rearing for more. Uh, there's something else that I do want to talk about a little bit. Now, that's something else that I want to talk about uh, is something that's commonly brought up and people are trying to understand which color or temperature spectrum of lighting to use. Uh, you know, people ask, well, the sun is at 
you know, 5,500 Kelvin or 5,500K. Why don't we use 5,500K bulbs when we're, you know, setting up our reef tanks? That's what the sun's at. Well, again, when we go back and, and when we talk about the spectrum and we talk about something at 5,500K or whatever, you've got your full color range in there. Okay, so even at 5,500K, how before I said it was it was predominantly yellow, you have a full range of color. It just happens to be if you were to look at a spectral graph, you're going to see your largest peaks at the yellow range. So it's going to appear yellow. Now there's color rendition and stuff that take place into that, um, but th that's stuff that I'm not going to really get into now either because I don't I don't think that suits here. The thing that I want to get across here is that. When sun is emitted, uh, when sunlight is emitted, it has to travel through the atmosphere, through the water, to the coral. Now what happens is the color or the temperature, or however you want to look at it, uh, the different, col different colors come in at different wavelengths. So your blue is going to have a shorter wavelength, your yellow is going to have a mid wavelength, and your red is going to have a longer wavelength. Now this directly equates to the amount of energy that's present in it. So your blue is going to be higher energy. We can think of it as it's stronger. Um, the yellow is going to be mid-energy. It's going to be your average uh, strength. And yellow is going to be your uh, low energy, uh, doesn't have much strength you know, or ability. And where this plays in a role is when it is actually punching down through the water level. What, what happens is this, this reddish light gets stripped off and filtered out. Um, and now, so if you go down, and I'm, I'm going to quote these uh, specific numbers from uh, page 329 of Eric Bornman's Aquarium Corals book. Uh, and, and what he mentions here is that within 5 meters or 15 feet of the surface of clear water, the spectrum of sunlight has been altered by the red and the orange wavelengths that have been filtered out of the water. Uh, by 10 meters or 30 feet, the yellow spectrum is gone. And after 16 meters or about 15 feet, the greens disappear, leaving blue and violet to continue into the depths. Now, what he mentions here is that 480 nanometers, if you remember we talked about that earlier, has the greatest depth penetration of all. Um... And so these are some of the things that we're going to want to look at, and it should help understand uh, why, why we're looking for these bluer lights. Now, when the sun emits its light and it passes through the, the water, now, yes, some of the corals are present at the surface within the first 15 feet, um, but there's a lot of reef corals that we have in our tank that are generally used to the bluer colors. So when we're, if we were to set up 5,500 Kelvin bulbs less than a foot away from the surface of our water and from the surface of our water there's less than you know probably four or five inches of water you can't duplicate that filtering out or stripping of those other uh, colors out so what we have to do is we have to accommodate for that by uh, adjusting the temperature of the bulbs that we're using so we go to the bluer bulb to simulate the depths of the water so I hope that kind of helps, brings a little bit more understanding to that piece of it. 
Uh, I'm going to wrap up the show or this topic for this week. Uh, like I said, this is this is kind of a lot to to throw at some people. Uh, so hopefully you it, it helps build that foundation knowledge. And if you have questions or comments about any of this, you you want to know more. Again, I gave you a lot of I pointed out some resources, uh, and of course, there's a lot of very educated and uh, informative people at the Talking Reforms. So just reply back to this this topic in the forums, and we'll go ahead and answer whatever we possibly can. So with that being said, let's end this topic and move into the community closing closing community updates section. Okay, again, I wanted to thank everybody for sticking around and working through that topic with me. Uh, a couple things that I wanted to mention before we wrap up the show totally for this week. Uh, the first thing is the November Tank of the Contest Month is over. Congratulations to Victoria uh, for winning that. Her tank is going to be displayed on the TalkingReef.com website through the no- month of November. She is going to win the prize of a, ta- a special edition Tank of the Month winner uh, Talking Reef t-shirt. Uh, that's going to be out to you shortly, Victoria. So please be patient. I'll get that to you as soon as I can. And if so chosen, we'll be on the show to talk about her tank in a future bonus episode of the Talking Reef podcast. Again, special thanks to Wes and Carmi and all the Talking Reef moderators for their assistance, but specifically our contest moderators, Wes and Carmi, for making the Talking Reef contest great this month and continue on in the months to come. And on that note, entries for the December Tank of the Month contest are now open. If you have a tank and you want to win for December, except you, Victoria, because you just won, (laughs) um, go ahead and head over to TalkingReef.com, visit the contest form and the entries form, and submit your entries. Make sure you read the rules. Uh, They continue to get updated uh, as each contest goes goes in. Uh, So make sure you uh, read those, abide by those rules, get your entry in, uh, entries have to be in by the 15th, I believe it is, and then voting will take place between the 15th and the end of the month, and then the winner will be announced again in the beginning of December and will be displayed on the TalkingReef.com website through the month of December. Again, uh, I wanted to mention MASM, is the Marine Aquarium Society of Michigan, has our Monster Frag Swap November 4th between 12 p.m., and 5 p.m. Check out masm.org for all the details on that. Uh, it's going to be a huge swap. It's going to be the largest swap that's held in Michigan. Uh, and this is a, they've done this. Uh, this is a second annual uh, monster frag swap, I believe. So check out the website. Get all the information. Entry is very very cheap. If you're an MASM member, it's free. If you're not, it's only a couple dollars. If you want your take your frags for trading, if you got a bunch of frags to sell, uh, you can get table space. It's all very, very cheap. Uh, again, go over to MAS, masm.org, get all of the information there. One more thing I wanted to bring up and let everybody know, uh, over the last few weeks, I've been extremely busy. I've had a lot of stuff going on, personal life, work life, talking reef life. Uh, Yes, there is things outside of talking reef. Um, Doing the shows and stuff has taken up a lot of time. Keeping up on the website has taken up a lot of time. And kind of keeping everything in the background running as it should is just extremely time-consuming. 
So what I kind of wanted to bring out is to let everybody know that my involvement in the forums is going to be a little bit less than what it normally is. Uh, I have to cut myself back a little bit. There's just, and don't get me wrong, it's a great thing. The forums are growing. There's new, a bunch of new people every single day, new posts every single day, hundreds of posts every day. It's, it's just great. Uh, I'm very excited about that. Uh, but I need to keep my focuses on doing the show and overseeing the website. Uh, I'm going to lay back a little bit, let the moderators keep an eye on things and make sure everything is going good. I am going to continue to be in the forums as often as possible, uh, reading through as many posts as possible. Uh, but just understand and bear with me, uh, I will be keeping a very close tabs on the site information forums and the podcast-specific forums. Uh, you know, I'll be keeping an eye on there, replying to posts there. Uh, but if you're posting outside of there, it might be a little bit before I actually get to it. Not that it matters. We have loads of so, so many uh, very helpful people out on the forums that I'm sure you don't need me. So, uh, just so everybody knows, I, I appreciate everything that, you know, everybody's in there, uh, everybody's posting all the time. Um, but if you don't see as much of me as normal, that's why. Last but not least, our usual listener call-in. You heard the intro on the beginning of this show. Let's hear yours on the next show. Call in your introductions or your questions or comments into the voicemail line, the comment line, or the Skype line. Uh, it's quick and easy. You can dial 586-486-3357. You can Skype me at Talking Reef. Or you can leave a comment using the comment line, the little blue box, on the TalkingReef.com website on the left-hand side. And any and all of those comments that are appropriate will get played as an introduction, question, or comment on the Talking Reef podcast. So that's going to wrap up the show for this week. I will talk to you all next week, uh, with hopefully with another part in our lighting series. Thanks a lot. I will talk to you all later.